Oh, I don't know. I'm looking at time, but you know what? I'm going to tell this joke anyways. Um, it's not really a joke. Uh, it was supposedly a true story. Wes Hamilton told it to a group of people at a prayer breakfast. Um, some of you were there at that interfaith breakfast, a few of you. Um, he had shared about when he was in the Minnesota Vikings, and he actually told, this is something that kind of surprised me, that after his seasons you know, had ended and he went to one of the first meetings of the veterans where you would talk about pensions, and he was a young guy still just out of the league, and most of them came hobbling in walking and hardly make it in. And he, he said, you know, a lot of these guys, because of the camaraderie and the stuff that occurred um, when he talked to them, they said they'd give their other leg to be in that kind of um, competition again. And I thought, that can't be correct. So I was with a, a guy this week. His name's Jack DeGrinier. He's a, he was a fullback for the New Orleans Saints. And I asked him the same question because he kind of hobbles along on his knees a little bit and with his knees kind of hurt. And he said, yeah, that's true. Well, Wes Hamilton, so he says... He was, um, just came up. It was his first season. It was one of his first games. They were playing the Miami Dolphins. They were down in Miami. And uh, you know the rivalry between the Vikings and the Dolphins. He played in that time during the, all those, uh, uh, those uh, Super Bowl champion games, those games in there. And he, he just um, said that, that Bud Grant from time to time would want to get his players, you know, peaked with a, with a kind of a rousing, pep talk and he would ask his assistant coach Jerry Burns he'd say Burnsy once in the season I'm going to call on you and you need to give this talk you need to get the players up and he said you know game came happen and I guess he must have talked to Burnsy because it was the first game and he said Burnsy I need you to do this one so coach Burns said sure all the guys are in the locker room and then I talked to Jack but he said it's just there's nothing like that camaraderie Wes Hamilton was saying the same thing he played you know, as a lineman on the Vikings for many seasons. He said Burns got up, he brought this little package, this little container up, and he started to talk to them about how they need to be tough. They need to beat these guys. They've got to, they've got to be bare and grit and if you suffer, you're going to play through it and everything. So at a certain point, he, he opens this thing and he pulls out this alligator, little alligator. He pulls up his shorts and the thing clamps onto his cheek. And for those of you who are a little, you know, squeamish, He's talking and tears are coming down his eyes and, and actually, you know, blood is he's, he's kind of trickling down and the guys are wrapped in attention. And so he gets done and they're just, they're there, they're ready to go and he starts hitting the alligator and it won't let go. And he's pulling and he's hitting and he's trying to, so finally he grabs a pencil and he starts just jamming it, you know, kind of the eye and the thing lets go and he puts it back. He ends his talk, he looks out at these guys and he says, okay, who's next? Hamilton said he just sat there and he kind of, he kind of shrinked down. And he looks around. Everyone's quiet. And finally, one veteran raises his hand and says, Coach, I'll go next, but just don't poke me in the eye with that pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the sermon today. No, um, <laughs> oh, you know, I have to tell you. Even those football players get confused on whether they're to be bringing the pain or are supposed to get the pain. Um, we get really confused as we read God's word at times, and it talks about living in the spirit versus living in the flesh. And dads, I have to say, you, those of you who are fathers, our culture does everything it can to teach us just the opposite. We are taught to be self-sufficient. 
We are told to be independent. We are told to be the kind of people who are self-made. And yet, everything you see in the greatest, I think, most courageous man that ever lived on this life was about a person who was dependent upon his father and upon the Holy Spirit. And he lived his life like that, always. There is no one who ever has walked in this earth that I think, with the courage that he had, stood up against opposition. There is no one that would actually choose with all the hatred and all the stuff coming against him, with people who were his closest who walked with him, betray him, who would still walk out onto the cross and give his life. And he did that all because of his relationship to his father and because he was totally, fully, 100% dependent on the Spirit of God. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Father, with all the confusing messages that are sent, that which we receive from our culture, everything we read, we watch, we see, where we work, even within our own homes, that which we've been raised with so often, has sent things that have been in opposition to what I believe you have called us to do. And so I pray this morning, God, that you would allow for my words in these few moments to just kind of, would you use them as words that would be windows for for your spirit to work in the hearts and lives of each person here, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You know, when my children were young, I picked up one of their library books and and, and, you know, they'd bring books from the school, and this was one that she had a pack of library books. And I looked at one, Dolphins and, I think it was Porpoises and Dol- Dolphins and Porpoises was the name of it, by a lady named Dorothy Hinshaw Patton. I thought, well, let's read this as kind of one of their bedtime stories. Let's read about this, because I was getting tired of some of the other ones. You know, you can only read, you know, some of those so many times. And so... I said, let's, let's read this. So we read it, and she describes how dolphins have been given the ability to operate in two realms. And it just had, happened to be that I was, at that time, really praying and, and seeking to understand this whole idea of the spiritual realm and, and this whole idea of the realm of the physical and, and the living and the flesh and those concepts. And so I started to read with a real sense of, wow, this is interesting. I don't know if the kids were with me, but I was into it. In shallow water, she was, goes on to say, and above water, dolphins rely on their eyes. Their physical eyes. But because light doesn't penetrate very far in water, dolphins must rely on a different sense in this realm of the water to navigate and live in the very realm that they were really meant and created to be. They weren't created to be outside the water, but to live in it. And in the realm of the water, they depend on sound to guide them. In fact, in water, sound travels five times faster than it does through air. It can travel long distances, as we're all aware, if you're ever on the side of a shore and people are out there fishing and you can hear them, right? They can be talking in a normal voice and it just amplifies all the way across the water. Well, Hinshaw Patton comments that since sound is so much more useful in water than in light, it shouldn't surprise us that dolphins rely on it for most of their information in the world in which they swim in, in this realm of the water. In fact, their sonar system called echolocation is really quite complex. It gives out, they give out a series of rapid clicks. You've heard that? 
And they, as they swim and listen for returning clicks that have bounced off nearby objects. So accurate is their sonar system, they can, they can actually find an object as small as a BB. Isn't that amazing? In fact, they can distinguish between a piece of copper and a piece of aluminum of the same exact size and thickness. That's how sharp that ability to navigate in that realm is. In this way, dolphins see with their ears much like we do with our eyes. And their eyes are basically used to spot things above the water. But below, in the realm of the water, where they are created to live, they use their ears through echolocation. Now, if you wanted to truly confuse and you wanted to frustrate a dolphin, in fact, if you wanted to bring great harm to a dolphin, all you would need to do is deceive that dolphin into relying on its eyes under the water. Guess that? All you have to do is confuse and, and to frustrate and actually to bring great harm to this dolphin is to deceive it and cause it to begin to use its eyes under the water, which were meant to be created to live, look just above the water for short periods of time. As I read this, I began to see these striking similarities between the dolphin and man. Like dolphins, Scripture makes it clear that we're designed and created, all of us, to live in two realms. There is this physical material realm in which we are all very much a part of and we see and we're very much aware of. And yet there is this realm we've called the spirit, which Jesus came and when he brought a message, he said, I come to bring you a message of the kingdom of God. And in this kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus would say, this realm of the spirit where God is active and where the angels and even demonic spirits, which you can't see with your natural eyes, are active. There is, he says, at times for some people, in some occasions, a thin veil that sometimes it's separated. They can see in. There's accounts of it all throughout Scripture. I honestly, personally believe that some people, I believe that some people are gifted, just like it says in the Old Testament, with the, with it, they call those people seers. I believe today there are people who see in the spiritual realm, and they may not know Jesus Christ, they may not even be aware of Him, but they see in that realm. Whether they see or they tell things accurately, I believe so often, because the church has not been aware, and has, has and in many ways, has limit itself from and, and kept way too much about faith being merely things that are that are hard and, and physical and material and, and rational and reasoned because of the age that we grew out of. I think we've sometimes missed all and many things that God does in the spirit. And so, like dolphins, all someone has to do to confuse and to frustrate us, and in fact, to bring us ultimately great harm, maybe not great harm in this physical life, and you may do great in your business and other places, but I'm talking about great harm in the sense of the spiritual development of your soul and the work that God wants to do and has designed you to do. You know, all he has to do is frustrate to, to do that, is to confuse you by deceiving you to rely on your physical senses only and not to understand and to be aware that you have been made with a spirit. So when a guy, as we've talked the last few weeks, named Nicodemus comes up and says, how can I enter into this realm that you've talked about? And Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born from above or you must be actually born into this realm. He goes, how do I get back? He thinks physically into my mother's womb to do this. And Jesus says, you don't get it. He talks to a woman at the well. And he says, I got living water that flows 
from within yourself. It's, it's a, a water, a life that comes from this realm of the spirit. If you're willing to enter in and I'll give it to you, if you just ask me. And she goes, well, how do you how do you do that? You don't even have anything to draw with. You have something better than, again, physical. <laughs> and Jesus goes. People. Disciples. I'm not talking about something physical. I'm talking about a real relationship that comes when you recognize your need, the desire to, to be in relationship with God the Father. And Jesus would say to, and to people, it's available to you no matter how you've lived, what you've done, no matter the sin in your life, forgiveness is there. God is a forgiving God and He will forgive you if you acknowledge your need of Him and He will actually do something so incredible. He will take the spirit that He's created within you that is eternal and is going one direction or the other, He will take, if you are open to it, He will take His Spirit and give you His Spirit as you, in that sense of repentance, rethink again the strategies, the way you've been living, and it brings about a turn of life so that you begin to start saying, I want to pay attention to know this God of graciousness and the principles that we are called to live in in this kingdom of God. And it's available. In the realm of the spirit where the angels reside, where the weapons of our warfare are grace and mercy and love, which are effective, which he's called us to live mature and where God dwells, God has given us another faculty. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith and not by sight. Galatians 5, 16, verses, chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. If you look at these verses, he, he makes his point. He says in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. I'm going to kind of walk through these two points real quickly here. One is how do you live by the flesh first? How do you live by the flesh? He's making its contrast. There's this realm of the spirit and there's this physical realm where we can live by our flesh. So how do you live by your flesh? First, you need to realize that God has made our bodies with some very basic desires, or I could call them natural appetites. It's the things that are natural to us. And we have appetites which are really good things. There's appetites for food, for sex, for intimacy, for power, for significance, for rest, for excitement. There's a number of things that you could just talk about that come that are natural parts of this natural life which God has made us in. It's what we used with see and hearing and tasting and smelling and touching. These are all natural things that God made. And again, they were good. Not to be in any way denigrated. Now, if you want to take these appetites and, and, and if you take those very appetites and let them control you and you yield yourself into control to those desires, they have the ability, according to the scripture, to bring about a lot of pain. They can help you succeed for a while, but eventually they are that which will cause frustration. And that's living by the flesh or what I call the principle of doing what is natural. Let me give you an example. Here's what it is to live in the flesh. It happens all the time and it happens when we're young. What if someone were to come up and to hit you? What's your natural reaction? Depending on the size of the person. <laughs> your natural reaction is to hit them back, right? It's just what the flesh does. 
What's your natural reaction in, 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 on the appetites of our body when they're not disciplined or controlled? They control us and they can cause great pain. We see it all the time when you see appetites that get out of control. You see it when a person eats way too much and they have an appetite that way. You see it at the same time when a person who is maybe bulimic and they eat a lot, but they get rid of it because their whole desire is for something greater. It's for significance. It's a great, there, there's something deeper that's going on. There are desires that they have and they're try, you try fleshly ways to bring about a resolve to what you hunger for, whatever that is that your appetite is yearning for. And so we live by the flesh when we obey our fleshly appetites. We seek, as it says, to gratify them. That's why Galatians 5.17 says, say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we allow our five senses to be the basis of our action when we react, And when we struggle to do things in our own strength, when we try and do things in our own way, with our own wisdom, by our own will, apart from God. And that is what is called living by the flesh. And you can do that in all kinds of ways. You can do it by the simple thing of retaliating, like I said a a moment ago, or a person who becomes addictive can be that. And those are all negative things. But you know what? Some people who live by the flesh are incredibly successful. They live in big homes with big cars. And they travel all around the world. And they find out sometimes in their life that they come to the end of their life and they found out that they have all these big things, but they're missing some of the deepest things in their life because they've lived by the flesh. You know, you can live by the flesh and you're in a church. Churches do that. Leaders do that. Paul's one of his biggest. And we'll look at this probably at some point when we get to Galatians. Um, I want to preach on that someday. Paul was speaking to a church, a group of people, and it wasn't about salvation. It was about living in the spirit and out of love. Because it's actually possible to build a church and and to do a ministry out of the flesh, out of your own wisdom, out of your own way, and through your own will. So I want you to realize that living in the flesh isn't just some negative thing. It's not just things like um, stealing and, and murdering and committing adultery. It's really this. It's living in such a way that you use your own senses, your own mind, your own abilities to do the kind of things that you want done. And you can even do that Believing that you're bringing glory to God. Okay. That's living by the flesh. Um, let's go on and, and uh, I'll, I'll move on to the next one. And that is, uh, how does one live by the Spirit? The governing factor in living by the Spirit is not our appetites, but the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit guiding us with a life based on God's word and his promises in your own life personally. That's how one lives by the spirit. Now, you can look at the Pharisees and the Pharisees, you can say, well, they really knew God's word, but they didn't live by the spirit. In fact, Jesus made it very clear. You study the scriptures. In fact, they would know more than any one of us here. When it comes to knowing the scriptures. It is possible, as I've said before, for people to be biblically informed, have lots of this, to be religiously conformed, to look right, and to do all the activities of, 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 of what looks religious or according to the church, and yet not be in their spirit transformed, because the spirit is something that, that happens as the word of God becomes alive to your heart, and you have a relationship with a member of the Trinity, a real person, not an it, but the Spirit of God who has been given to us by Jesus Christ. He's not some ghost. He is a person who leads and guides and works through your life. 
And I want to tell you, when you move into that kind of life, it is truly exciting. But it will really rock your world. And so, the governing factor is not our appetites, but the Holy Spirit based upon the Word of God. And when our appetites and our desires are triggered, we're tempted, and we listen to the Holy Spirit and His promptings, and we feed upon not our senses, but the faith that we have in God's Word, His truth. And most of the things that we need to understand with regard to God is pretty simple in His Word. It's laid out in the sense of loving God and loving one another. It's laid out in the sense of doing good to one another. It's laid out in the, in the, in the fruits of the Spirit that talk about being loving and joyful and patient and peaceful and kind and all those things. So it's not a mystery, a lot of what God wants us to do. But sometimes in those occasions, as you're seeking to understand and to live that out, it's really important that you have a person who is a counselor, who is a guide, who is real to you, who, who is one who leads and guides you, prompts you as you walk in faith. So here's living by the Spirit. Our soul, which I believe is made up of our mind, emotions, and will, is fed by the Spirit. With our will, we choose to keep our mind on God's Word, His promises, His truth, to meet our desires. And we trust God's wisdom his, and His way to fulfill and to satisfy our deepest longings. So we live in and according to the Spirit when we obey the promptings of the Spirit. We make God's Word, His promise and provision for us, the basis of our action. And we rely totally upon the Holy Spirit and His strength as we participate with Him. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> in the Bible, there's a story of Joseph. Remember Joseph? He had a real tough luck situation. He was taken at one time by his older brothers um, who were jealous of him because he had some dreams and he was told that someday he would rule and he would rule over them. In fact, not only did he rule over his father. I don't know if dad was too crazy about that either, but dad loved him and gave him a multicolored coat, which really wasn't just because he had a nice you know, pair of, you know, a nice suit or something like that that his dad gave him. The idea was the, the colored coat had a prestige of the sense of he was the manager. In many ways, I think Joseph's father, Jacob, looked at Joseph and he saw all the other brothers. He couldn't trust any of them. And he said, you're going to manage all the stuff. And they didn't like it. They threw him in a pit. Can you imagine him in this pit? He's in this pit. And he's kind of going, OK, Reuben, funny joke. Time to get me out. OK, you guys. He doesn't hear anything for the longest time. Finally, he hears some, some, sounds like, you know, someone's moving the cattle or something's coming closer. And he's thinking, okay, guys, you're there. And when he gets pulled out, he's not pulled out by his brothers. He's pulled out by a group of nomads who have a caravan that are on their way to Egypt. They take him. They bind him. He's now beginning to realize this is for real. He gets brought to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. He's sold into this home where he becomes... A person as a servant in the home of, of Potiphar, and in Potiphar's home, he begins to just, you know, this is my lot in life, but he holds on to this promise that God has for him. He, that God said someday he would rule. Joseph had a dream. He, he, he was going to trust in this God who, even though he, in many ways he could look at God and say, you abandoned me, you, you, you did me in, where are you in all this, he continued to trust and he did those things which were right and good, and he moved up into the household to the point where he became, because he must have been a great manager, he became the manager of that whole household. Now, he's probably in his early 20s. And he's probably a very attractive young man. And he's probably a man with, in his 20s with hormonal highs. Right? Wanting intimacy. 
one who would be probably very sexually tempted. And here in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's married to a trophy wife. He's my version of it. Okay. Um, and here's, here's Potiphar. He's away and she's coming on to him. Can you imagine what could go through his mind? His appetite is being pulled and being directed to do something that in his own heart he knows isn't right, but he could easily say, I'm far away from my country. God abandoned me. My family's nowhere near me. This guy Potiphar doesn't pay attention to her. I, what's the big deal? So one time. And he doesn't, though. Because here's a man who is led by God's Spirit. I, tr- I really truly believe God in that way in the Old Testament. In some case, the Spirit of God was upon him. And as he continued to rely on him, I believe the Spirit grew in his heart. And I believe when he looked at that situation, as you see what Scripture has to say, instead of, instead of following the yearnings of his flesh and doing what he thought he could do, because really you could reason out a whole bunch of scenarios that could make this look right. He could have actually rationalized this could be a good thing. I'll get in closer. And get away from all this stuff of being a servant and slave. In fact, he listened to the promising of the Spirit, and the Spirit of God brought to his mind his word. And he says to this woman, as she tempts him, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against? Not you, against God. Joseph fed his mind on God's promise that God would provide He listened and obeyed to this prompting of the Spirit. God's word was in his heart and his promise through a vision. A vision as a child that you could easily go, oh, I was just probably dreaming things. But he said, no, God, I'm going to trust you. And someday you said, I'm going to rule and I'm going to follow you, even though it doesn't look like it. And Joseph trusted that God would promise it would provide what he had promised. And, and you just go on with his life and he gets now thrown into prison for doing what's right. You know, if you are doing things that's right and it seems to be going downhill sometimes, let me just tell you that sometimes God is in the process of either refining you so that he can give you what he wants or he's in the process of dealing with someone that he needs to deal with in that time or he's separating things. He's at work because he's allowing things to happen so that you can come to this point. So David, I mean, Joseph is thrown into this into this dungeon again. And this time it's a political prison, which is so interesting that he would get thrown into this political prison because God was preparing him, getting him ready. These people came down. He learned all about the politics of Egypt. And finally, a couple of guys come down. They share their visions, their dreams. He tells their interpretations of them. And they both, one gets killed by the Pharaoh and the other one gets released. And he just says, would you tell the Pharaoh, get me out of here, please. And it ends this horrible sense that, that this guy leaves and forgets about him. And it says in Scripture, you read that in Genesis, it's one of the most heartbreaking times. And it, and it was this idea that, that it almost said, God forgot Joseph. And yet, God's still in it and he brings him out of it. And Joseph continues to trust in God's promise and his word and walk according to the spirit so that he could get to the promised land that God wanted him to be in. Let me contrast with you in the Old Testament, one of the probably one of the best stories to contrast this whole idea of what it means to walk in the spirit versus to walk in the flesh. Okay, it's in Numbers chapter 13. You're going to probably wonder how we're going to do this in about seven minutes, but we will do it. 13 through 1424. And I'm going to read to you like I've done before, and I'm going to comment as we go through. This is a great contrast between the spirit and the flesh. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm going to 
which, listen to me, because I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And, and you've got to mark this. This isn't the first time God said, I'm going to give you this land of promise. He said it so many times. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And verses 4 through 16 in this passage of Scripture basically lists the 12 spies and the tribes that they're from. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and up into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the trees on it or not? I mean, these guys are scratching notes. Moses telling us to do this. They're, you know, they're scouts. Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. Because it was the season for the first ripe grapes. Now remember again, God had said he'd given this land to the Israelites. But they still had to participate in taking this land, whether it meant walking around the city uh, seven days in a row, or whether it meant um, leading them in to conquer a, a, a people through the ways that he wanted them to do it. But God was giving it to them, but by faith they had to walk into it. They had to follow the Spirit towards the promise which he said was theirs. And what you have to recognize is that any time God sends you into a new area where the Spirit of God begins to work and God says, here's a place I want you to go, here's a territory I want you to take, here's what I want for your life, and you're going to move towards that, you can understand and expect that you will have opposition. It doesn't come easy. And you'll never get it if you just say, okay, God, go do it. He always asks you to participate, to be a part of it. And so... Verse 21, they went up and explored the land, cut a single cluster of grapes and carried it on a pole between them. You've seen that in your Bible picture stories. You know, these guys can't. Okay. Anyway, verse 25 continues. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Things seem to be good at this point, right? They gave this account to, to Moses. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here's its fruit, these huge grapes. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And, and we even saw descendants of Anak there, which were the giants. They were descendants of giant people. And the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and Jebusites, and Amorites in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. They're just populated with people against us. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, Moses, we should go up, take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men, verse 31, who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. And I want to share with you, go back to verse 28 sometime, you'll see a bad report was based on some truths. But then as you read on about the land they explored, they said the land we explored devours those living in it. All people we saw there are of great size. Now they are embellished by fear. They're living not by faith. They're not living by the promptings of the Spirit. They're not living by the promise God had given them. They're living by what they see with their eyes, and their minds now begin to fix on what they see with their eyes. They're big. They're great. They see themselves as small and little, and they feel emotionally fearful. They don't have courage any longer because it's all about us. And so... They share this bad report. Let me share with you, when you move into the places God wants you to move, when you're moving into the land of promise that he has for your life, not only will you have opposition from the outside, but you know where the opposition first comes? It comes from within. It comes from the flesh. 
It comes from within the body, your physical body, a spiritual body of a church. It always comes from the flesh. It comes from that part. When, when, when Joseph was tempted, you can tell, I can tell you his flesh was the first to oppose, saying, but she's really good looking. And so as you move into this, you see there's opposition out there. They're afraid of that. But then that opposition becomes internal when the fear becomes internalized. And so he says, we saw Nephilim there. Descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. We were just looking with our eyes, not with the eyes of God. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. It, it, it now began to just pour into the community, the fear. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, if we'd only been back in Egypt, if we could just be slaves again, wouldn't it be wonderful? That's the way it is for us. And when we start moving into the things of God, we start moving and obeying, and we're obedient. And he's, and he's doing these things of where he's calling us to live in the Spirit, not to react in our flesh, not to gossip, not to hurt, not to strike back, but to say we will in graciousness and love move together towards where God is leading us. What happens so often is, is in your flesh, your flesh rises up and goes, oh, it was so much better back here. Baloney. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? I bet you God, you know, he, he called, he did these things, and we're only moving in these things because now it's all going to just fall apart. Where's God? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we could choose a leader, and let's go back. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, son of Jephunneh who were among them who explored the land, tore their clothes, and they said to the entire assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. A couple guys walking by the Spirit who were not going to allow their eyes to be focused on what was the opposition, but was going to keep their eyes focused on God, was going to keep their heart into the Spirit of God, who said, I'm going to give you this, I'm leading you there, follow me. And they tore their clothes and they went on their knees and they said, God, do this. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing of milk and honey. And guess what? He'll give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people because of uh, the people of the land because we will swallow them up. They won't devour us, but we will swallow them up. And then catch, this is, a, this is a line of the Spirit. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. What are they? They obviously, the veil has been pulled back because of their faith, and they see the protection. What is the protection? That's like, they, it wasn't their, their armors or fortified cities. They saw that the spiritual stronghold, they saw that the Spirit that was ruling over that land, in a sense, had been taken away, and God had made it possible that they would, by faith, walk into it. These people had seen like giants would, would fall at, their, at God's word. And the whole assembly thought about, talked about stoning them. They're so afraid. And the glory of the Lord appears. And if you go through the rest of this, it's basically God and Moses having a conversation where God says, I'm ready to give up on them. And Moses saying, please, God, don't. Your reputation's on the line. If I was Moses, I'd probably be going, you're right, God, make me the new leader. And... Uh, Forget the Abraham guy. Now, you know. And then it says in verse 20, Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills this whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs that performed in Egypt in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. The mercy of God ten times. He just stays with people and stays with people and stays with people. And then there's a final time where he says, that's it. But Caleb, listen to this, verse 24, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land. Here's the contrast. We'll close with this. 
Ten spies believed what they saw, fed their minds with what they saw, and the result was unbelief in God's word that he had promised to give them the land. They fed their wills with it, and the result was disobedience. They said, let's go back to, to Egypt and let's stone these guys. Two spies believed God's word despite what they saw, fed their minds with it, and the result was faith. Fed their emotions with it, and the result was courage. Fed their wills with it, and the result was obedience. And they possessed the land. Let's pray. Father, we desire. Individually, I pray for people that they would possess the land that you've given them. You have created people, designed them to walk in your spirit, so that everywhere you go, God, you would go with them and take what you want. And Father, you've created us as a body. You've designed us as a body to keep our eyes on you and your promise and to walk in obedience with courage. And so we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen.